KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. The biggest message I tried to give to my guys now, you'll never know your ability until you try to do the most you can. Give it everything you have. That's what separates good players and great players. Sometimes it's just God-given ability, and sometimes it's just work. I can say for my own self that I put in the work that I, everything I could do to be the best individual player that I could be. And our guest this week is Widener University head men's basketball coach Chris Caridio, one of the top coaches around. Also was one of the greatest players in Widener basketball history. And Chris, thanks so much for taking the time. Matt, thank you so much for having me on. I'm flattered that you asked. Um, looking at the lineup of the of the people you've had on the show, it's uh, it's uh, awesome to be here. So it's been uh, quite a year. What have the last few months been like for you? Well, like we just talked a little bit off the air, it's been a uh, an interesting five or six months. Uh, I guess most people use that <laughs> use that term, but I think the first few months, like like a lot of us, uh, we, my wife and I, who's obviously in coaching as well, we, we made the most of it. Two young boys, five and two, and we enjoyed spending some time with them uh, that we didn't get during the season. Because her and I, during the season, we kind of, I come in, she goes out, she goes out, I come in, and you know, our boys are you know kind of in and out and so it was it was fun to kind of spend some time with them and and uh and the weather at that moment was was good (laughs) so we were able to go outside and just spend some time that some family time that we hadn't had which was which was nice uh but you know as it as it drug on a little bit as we got to may and june uh the reality really kind of started to hit a little bit with our son's school and what was going to happen with him and certainly our seasons and our 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 student athletes and what what was higher ed going to look like in the fall and uh, so that's kind of where we are now. Uh, we did enjoy the summer, you know, being able to go down the shore and spend some time with family and those kind of things. But the unknown right now is tough for a family that has two parents that work in higher ed and two young boys. <laughs> so we're kind of still trying to figure out uh, what our next move is. What kind of conversations do you have with the the team, with your players and with the recruits? Like what kind of questions are you getting and what kind of discussions are you having? Well, they're fluid. They're always moving. Uh, you know, our main focus right now is our current players. They're all taking classes online. We're trying to stay as engaged as we can, my staff and I. Um, so we do, you know, the weekly or Zoom call or biweekly Zoom call just to kind of get together and talk and talk about what's going on with the pandemic, certainly what's going on with the social injustice and how we can kind of wrap our arms around those kind of things and, and be better a better program, a better people, and how we can kind of figure those kind of things out. All you know, obviously, we're talking about academics and how you know this being online is a challenge, and it can be really easy to just kind of not be locked in and focus on your grades and your school. So we we talk about that. I do a lot of individual trying to reach out to my guys as much as I can individually to see how they're doing. The mindset, you know, the, the mental health aspect of student athletes. I don't I don't want to say it gets pushed aside, but. You know, there's a big, this is a big piece for them too. You know, they have, they're 18, 19, 20 years old and, and all their lives they've been, you know, playing basketball and going to school. And now both have, both have basically been taken away, you know? So I, I try to kind of with my staff and, and we try to lock in on guys that we're, we're just trying to make sure that we're keeping in contact with them and, and they're staying upbeat and they're doing what they can to, you know, to stay focused on, you know, the big picture that, you know, we know what's coming, whether it's 
in January or next year. We just got to try to stay focused on that. So we're trying to do that with our current players. And then obviously with, uh, with recruiting, you know, we're all trying to keep up with the Joneses and, you know, we're doing virtual tours and virtual online visits and communicating, you know, through email and texting and those types of things. And we've all kind of, I think made strides in that sense. Like we do some things we've never done before. And I think that that there's some positive that's come out of it because of that. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. You grew up uh, down the shore. Was basketball always number one on your list, or were you a kid that played whatever was in season growing up? Yeah, I played. Um, I started with basketball, soccer, baseball. Uh, I really didn't get past t-ball <laughs> with baseball. I got nailed three times in one game when we first could, you know, the kids could pitch to each other, and I all of a sudden just didn't really love baseball much after that. <laughs> So then I really got into soccer and basketball. My dad was a high school basketball coach, and then he was a college basketball coach. So I was around basketball a lot. So when I went into high school, my freshman year at Ocean City High School, I stopped playing soccer and basically focused on basketball. That became my true passion when I knew that that's what I really loved. I was just around it for so much, and I just enjoyed it. Uh, and I was, I was okay at that moment. I mean, I was more of a shooter than I was anything else, but I, I, I enjoyed basketball most, so... So that's when I kind of like really honed in on that going into my freshman year at Ocean City High School. What's the basketball scene at the Jersey Shore? I don't mean from the high school standpoint, but I mean playgrounds, you know, clubs, stuff like that. We hear so much about the Philadelphia basketball scene, but what's it like down the shore? Well, I mean, growing up, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't really, well, there wasn't any AAU. So like I didn't do any AAU in high school, but I would say the Jersey Shore in terms of when I got into later part of high school and college, the Jersey Shore basketball scene was amazing at that moment for me. So it, it, grew, it helped me grow immensely. So like in Ocean City at 34th Street, those basketball courts used to be packed every Saturday and Sunday. You know, I can remember being in high school and guys like Chris Corciani were coming down. And, you know, we used to play games would be six-game wait, and it was like no blood, no foul. It was intense. And it was like it really made you kind of grow you know, and appreciate competing. That was our AAU. Like, that's how we got better because we knew that if you lost, you were, you could be done for the day, <laughs> you know? So like that was, that grew. And then as I got into college, Avalon in South Jersey was another great place in the summer on weekends. I mean, that's where I built friendships with guys and friends today. Guys like, you know, I met Fran Dunphy down there, Fran O'Hanlon, Stevie Donahue, all those guys were still playing some of them. And, Tim Legler and, and my, my friend Scott Bittner, who's the head coach of Stockton, like we would all go down together and we would, I mean, we were playing against pros and all, you know, all the te- Philadelphia textile guys at the time, Pat Chambers and all those. We, we would, as we all just every morning, 6.30, Saturday, Sunday morning, we played down there and the games were just incredible. It's kind of like you had to earn your right to be on that floor, on that court, on that outdoor court. Games for like to seven or eight, everything was one point. And again, games were five six game weight. And it was just that, that basketball is what formed me. And I know my, a lot of my friends down there, like in terms of the Philadelphia basketball scene was moved there all weekends. And that was just an amazing feeling. I didn't realize then the relationships that I was making with those guys would go to now, you know, and it was an amazing experience. So, so the basketball scene in South Jersey in the summer, great. When I was, uh, you know, a youth basketball player, it was, you know, you didn't know any different. You know, it, it was it is what it was. And I kind of grew up playing with my friends in grade school and, and high school. But then when I transferred to St. Augustine Prep after my first year at Ocean City, that's kind of when it 
kind of my basketball passion kind of took off a little bit. Was that move with an eye towards basketball? Yeah, it was, it was kind of a life move too. Like I was in, I was in a pretty serious car accident my freshman year in high school and I lost a good friend in that accident and uh, academically it was a good move. So like just, I was in a place at that moment at 15 years old that my family just thought like that would be a good move for me. Basketball was certainly there because coach rodeo had sat in my living room when I was going into freshman year at ocean city. Like I knew that I could go there and get a good basketball experience as well. So it just kind of, at that moment, everything kind of, you know, after the, the car accident and then academically, and I didn't get, I guess the basketball experience at ocean city as a freshman that I thought I could get. And my parents guided me towards this might be a really good move for you. And, um, it was the life changing for me, you know, for someone who was only 15, you know, playing for coach rodeo and, you know, if he doesn't have a thousand wins, he's coming up on a thousand wins. I mean, he's still there, you know, learned a lot from him and learned a lot from being in that program. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of, I guess when I realized that this is what I wanted to really do, I wanted to pursue, you know, pursue being a college basketball player for sure. You mentioned earlier being a shooter and I mean, the numbers going through your college numbers, they're, they're the types of numbers that, Sometimes you think there has to be a mistake because you're so far ahead of like the Widener list and three pointers and and stuff like that. Was that just work, like over shooting over and over and over? How much natural talent? How much was it form? You know, how would you kind of break it up? I think it's a combination of all those things, man. I mean, I my dad had me in the driveway, you know, when I was fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, just kind of showing me how to, you know, good shooting form and those kind of things. And then, you know, in my experience as a coach, you can do that with everybody, but not everybody picks it up. Right. So we tell our players all the time, like being coachable is a skill, just like shooting, passing, dribbling, being coachable and being able to adjust to coaching is a skill in itself. So I think I had that skill. I was able to make adjustments and, and do things that I think from a shooting standpoint when I was younger that, you know, that's basically what I was as I got into freshman year of high school, sophomore year of high school. I was really a catch and shoot guy. I wasn't fast. I wasn't tall. Couldn't jump, you know. So, so that's definitely where my basketball, I guess, skill set started. But when I got to college, I realized real quickly you know, and I actually think I took the biggest jump from like my junior to senior year in high school. I took the biggest jump in terms of my workouts. Like I, I really started to do more agility stuff and, and tried to get a little bit more, you know, stuff off the dribble. And, and I, I became a point guard where I wasn't as a junior in high school. So the ball was in my hands more. So I, I took a bigger jump then. And then when I went into college, you realize real quick that, you know, when you come off that ball screen and that lane is wide open, it closes like really quick in college and high school, it stayed open until like for a, a lot longer. So you had a lot more time to get there. So you make the adjustment. And I, you know, I think that coach Rowe, who was my college coach brought me in as a shooter. That's what he wanted me to do. And I, I certainly did that as a freshman. That was my role. I did shoot the ball really well as a freshman. I think I made my first, I think six or seven shots in my first game. And from that point on, I just, I the confidence level was high and I just, uh, that's what my role was. And, and the guys on the team at that time knew it. And that's what I did. And then as my college career evolved, I evolved. I really got more into weightlifting and got more into what I was eating and working out. And I just really wanted to be the best player I could be. 
and and yeah, I did. I I eat, drank, slept basketball, and that's just what I did. Um, and I was fortunate that I had a good friend at home in the summers that Scott Bittner, who like I said, is head coach of Stockton. Like we were on the same wavelength, and we just did it every off season together. You know, so it was a lot easier to have you know a running mate that wanted to do the same thing. So. But I would still tell you, by the time I was a senior, I wasn't the fastest. You know, I wasn't the quickest. Uh, I just adjusted to my skill set and what my natural abilities were. You know, and it, Coach Rowe wanted me to score. And that's just what I tried to do for our team to help us win. Why Widener? What sold you on them? And were you close going anywhere else? Yeah, so my rising senior in high school, we had a really – I don't want to give you a, a long-winded answer. But, like, I ended up choosing Widener – Again, my dad really helped with the recruiting process with Coach Rodeo because my dad was a coach of Stockton for a long time. So we knew a lot of Division three coaches. And Coach Rowe was one coach that he knew. So from a Division three standpoint, it really came down to Franklin and Marshall and Widener. I had visited Manhattan and St. Peter's as Division one schools, but never got an offer. Really had no Division two schools involved at all. When I visited Widener, I really liked it. And it just, I just felt comfortable there. I just, yeah, I mean, it was really, I really didn't have a lot of ton of interest. I mean, although I went to a good high school and, you know, I didn't add a, a lot of, I guess, coaches that taught coach Rodeo, but no one ever really kind of jumped at, you know, offering me anything or, you know, so I visited Franklin Marshall and Widener and that was really it in terms of vision three schools. And I picked Widener. Um, I liked coach Rowe. I liked the guys on the team. I just felt comfortable there. It was close enough to home that my parents and my family could come watch me play. It just kind of happened like that. And that's when I'm recruiting, I, I try to relate that story to a lot of the, the good players that we're recruiting that like, you know, doesn't mean that just, be, you know, you have to have 25 schools recruiting you to feel like you can have a great career somewhere. Like you just have to go where you're most comfortable. And I just had a comfort level with Widener uh, and with coach. And that's, that's why I chose Widener. You mentioned you got the, those couple of division one visits at that mm-hmm. age, you know, 17. Was there disappointment that division one wasn't calling or, Given your dad's D three, your familiarity with the quality of Division three was it more okay? That's fine, and here we go. Well, I, yes, for me, I, I wanted to play. Like I really wanted to play wherever I was going. I want an opportunity to get on the floor and play. Yeah, I would have loved to have been a Division one player, but honestly, at that time in my high school career, I wasn't really exposed to many Division one players in terms of playing pickup or anything like that. Like here and there, I didn't really honestly know the level you know, as well as I probably should have. So when I went to look at schools, you know, I had an opportunity to be a a walk-on at Villanova. And I remember this conversation vividly with my dad at the house. John Olive, I believe, was an assistant at Villanova back in the day. And Coach Massimino was the coach. And I had an opportunity. It wasn't for sure that I could possibly go there and walk on. Now, I went to St. Augustine's and obviously Augustinian school. So was Villanova. So getting into Villanova – so I had that pipeline there and I could have, I could have gone there, but I remember distinctly saying like, I don't, I wanted to play and I don't think I'll play it, <laughs> quite frankly. So the opportunity to play coach Rowe expressed that I have an opportunity right away. So that was what was important to me. I just wanted to compete. I wanted to be on the floor, you know, and yeah, maybe by the time I was a junior and senior, could I have competed at the division one school? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe I could have played as a freshman. You just don't know. I, I, I didn't know enough. I just knew that my dad knew the levels better than I did. And I knew that a chance to play would come probably at Widener than it would being a walk-on at Villanova. As a player, freshman year, you feel comfortable right away? Like it's, this is how it's supposed to be? The first, uh, yeah, I, it took a little while. But the first week of pickup at school, 
I learned like really quickly, like how different the college game was just more physical. Everybody's bigger, everybody's faster, regardless of what level you're at division three, division one. But I do feel like I adjusted pretty quickly. I felt comfortable, you know, the first six weeks of our, our captain's workouts and just doing thing with the guys on the team. And I didn't know, you know, cause they don't ask and I'm asking coach, like, where do I fit? You don't have practice yet, but I had a pretty good feeling that I could, you know, I could contribute and help. I thought my skill set complemented the guys that we had. We had a guy at the time named Brian Duffy. I don't know many people not remember him, but he was, he was a regional American and he was a, a West Catholic kid and he was about six, four and he was just tough as nails. And like, I never had played with a guy like that in high school. And I was looking forward to playing with an inside guy that could do that. Cause I knew I'd have a lot of opportunity for open shots. And I did, and I did because of him. So I, I had it. Yeah. There was a, by the first month of practice, official practice, I, I definitely had a comfort level that I could play and compete at the level for sure. So when you think of your time as a player at Widener, just to give people some context, you are the second all-time leading scorer uh, over 2,000 points. You're still number one in three-point field goals and way number one. That's one of those stats I was talking about. You almost had to do a double take. Yeah. Uh, what, are the, what are the memories? What are the things that uh, come rushing back when I ask you about your time playing for, the, for Widener? Wow. Well, definitely the first semester of my freshman year because – I mentioned earlier, I, literally, I made my first five or six shots in our first game. We were playing in the tip-off tournament at Widener. We had you know, a four-team tournament, and I was MVP of the tournament that weekend, our first weekend as a freshman. So I remember that feeling like a real sense of accomplishment there. So definitely that my freshman year. And then, and then reaching 1,000 points as a junior, you know, that was an exciting moment for me. Uh, but I think it all came to, to my senior year when we, you know, we kind of broke through and we had a lot of great things happening for our team. And for me, I, I, I broke the, the all-time three-point made in a career against Lebanon Valley College who the year before won the national championship and beat them at home. So I remember that as a, as a big monumental win for us in our program, reaching the 2,000-point mark in the last regular season game of the year at home against Messiah. Uh, I remember that. I remember that distinctly because Coach Rowe had taken me out of the game and I needed three points. And we were winning by a lot. <laughs> And I remember looking down because Jimmy Rowe, his son, was an assistant. And I remember looking down the bench, go, I don't want to worry about this in the playoffs. And he kind of like looked at me and he kind of looked at his, his stat sheet and then like tapped his dad and then like literally went in the game and took the next three and made it. And that was it. So like I was, I was able to, I remember that distinctly because I was able to get it behind us going in the playoffs. And then making the NCAA tournament our senior year as an at large bid, I think was kind of felt like, uh, you know, all that work that we had done my four years there. Because as great as my individual accomplishments were, and I'll say this to today, I would trade in half of my points and stats for NCAA tournaments and competing for national championships and winning conference championships because that was really what I wanted to do. And I just, I just happened to be the player on the team that was trying to lead us there. And I felt like at that moment, okay, I got our team to the NCAA tournament. You know, it wasn't just me. I had a full team of great players, but I just felt like there was a sense of accomplishment there. So, yeah, th- that would be my biggest takes from my college career in terms of that. I ended up losing to Wilkes at Wilkes. They had, they had a great team in the NCAA tournament, but that was, a, that was a fun moment for me. What was that sudden end like for you? You know it's going to happen, mm-hmm. but especially once you get into the postseason, it's a moving target, but it's going to come for everybody. So what was uh, – do you remember specifically like the locker room after that loss where – 
it's over? I, I do. And oddly enough, because so we, a week before, we, Wilkes was in our conference. So we lost to Wilkes at Wilkes in our conference semifinal, literally. At that, they, had a, they had a player, a uh, few players at the time that were really good. And, you know, if you've ever been to Wilkes, they have an enormous gym. And the place was packed. I mean, there had to be 3,000 people there. So I just remember the feel of that game was amazing. So we lost. And I remember after that game being very upset in the locker room because we didn't know what our fate was. We didn't know if we were going to get in or not. So that, that, I remember that being very upsetting, you know, crying with my teammates, being very upset. We don't know what's going to happen. Three days later, we get at large bid. And guess where we're going? You're going to Wilkes. <laughs> and it was just like a repeat. Like we were there one week later on a Thursday night, NCAA tournament, same setup, same amount of people, just, I remember just the feeling of it, though. You could, like, cut the air with a knife. It was so surreal because it meant so much more. And try to convey that to our players on a daily basis is almost impossible. Like, playing in the NCAA tournament is just so different, even at our level, Division three level. You know, it just feels different. And it's hard to put in the words, but I remember that feeling. It was a closer game, and we lost. But I do... I didn't feel as disappointed as I did the week before because the week before I didn't know this. I felt like a sense of accomplishment. They were better than us. They deserved to win. Uh, but, but I didn't feel as bad. You know, I, I was upset. Our career ended and I had to move on, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as bad as it would have been ended and we didn't get in, <laughs> you know, cause then I would have that taste of, we didn't get where we wanted to be, you know? So you do play one year professionally in Trenton. I think the Trenton Flames. Uh, yes. What was, how do you get locked in with them, and what was that experience like? So the head coach of the Trenton Flames was a guy by the name of Mike Gatley. Mike Gatley is now the athletic director at Mainland High School down in South Jersey. And Mike Gatley, he knew me, I guess, from my college days. I, I didn't really particularly know Mike at that moment. And, and I got a phone call. I was just working out still and, uh, I was in a, I had a year left at Widener, and I was helping Coach Rowe out with the team. So technically, I was an assistant coach my fifth year of school. He gave me a call in the spring. I was still working out as much as I could. Um, and he asked me to come down and try out for the team. It was in Trenton, obviously. Uh, I was living up in the Philadelphia area, and I, just, I would drive there every Wednesday night for practice or tryouts. So they did two tryouts in a row, and you know, and I'm, I'm playing against guys that played at Seton Hall that, you know, these are all Division One guys. So I'm the only Division Three guy on the team. And uh, so the way, you know, those, these small semi-pro teams work is, you know, that you practice, but you only get activated if they want to use you. Right. So you practice, you drive there for free, you don't get paid, nothing, you know, it's all on you. And so we, we practice with, you know, 15, 18 guys, and then the active roster is 12. But I remember distinctly getting my first call that Coach Gatley saying, hey, you're, we're going to activate you this week. And uh, that was exciting, but I, I knew that. And I was playing. I was I was playing pretty well. But I just knew. I just my size, my lack of speed. You know, I needed to be a point guard in the pro game, and I, I was. But I wasn't like, you know, just go around you kind of point guard. Like I was. I was a solid, steady point guard kind of thing. Like I, it just wasn't the pro game. Just wasn't didn't fit my skill set. And I, I knew that. I, I kind of knew that. I enjoyed the experience. I even tried out for the Atlantic City Seagulls uh, that following year. And uh, I had a pretty good tryout. Uh, and, but, you know, I'm playing against, like, Mark Bass, you know, who's, you know, was a great player at St. Joe's. And I'm like, these guys are just bigger and stronger at the same position. Like, I, as much as I can score and shoot the ball, it's just a different level. And I think I could have been okay, but it wasn't, 
you know, I was, I guess I was used to playing a particular way and that my game just wasn't going to translate in the pro game, you know, because I wasn't going to score at that level. Like I did at the division three level. So I think if nothing else over my career, I've been very knowledgeable about what I can do and what I can't do. I was never delusional, you know, about who I was and what I was doing. Like I kind of knew when, when I hit my, my ceiling, like this is where I can go. And uh, so, yeah, I did that for a year and then I just, you know, I decided I was just going to move on. That being said though, and I have to say researching these eighties, nineties, semi-pro basketball leagues is difficult, but if I've got the right team, you guys were really good in trend. They were like 16 and two or yeah. something like that. Yeah, they were good. They were good. And they were all good guys. I believe our point guard, I'm trying to remember names. Our point guard was Brian Caver. Like he started Seton Hall. He was like six five point guard. <laughs> you know, so it was just like, you know, we had a big kid, I think he was from LSU or Georgia. I don't even recall, but I just remember being in practice being like, Man, these guys are enormous. <laughs> you know, and it, I had some good practices and it was fun. It was enjoyable. Sometimes I'd be like, Here I am, you know, a kid that grew up in Ocean City and six foot nothing and I really don't have a great God given abilities. I, I've made it to the point where I'm I'm competing against, you know, some pro athletes, you know, certainly not the highest of the pros, but so I, I was satisfied when my career ended at that point, because I knew that I did everything I physically could to put myself in a position to be the best player I could be. Honestly, that's, that's the biggest message I tried to give to my guys now is that, you know, you have to, you'll never know your ability until you maximize it and try to do the most you can. You know, the one thing that I don't mean to continue to digress, but we tell all our guys that like, Hey, if Jimmy and John work out the same amount of hours, between this, when the season ends and the season starts between seasons, Jimmy could get exponentially better than John and has nothing to do with work. It's just he has a – his ceiling is just higher. But you don't know what your ceiling is going to be unless you give it everything you have. And that's what separates good players and great players is sometimes it's just God-given ability and sometimes it's just work. You know, And I can say for my own self that I put in the work that I – everything I could do to be – the best individual player that I could be. So I had no regrets. Once that, that season ended, I think that was an IBL. I don't remember the league affiliation, but once that Trenton season was over, I was fine. Like I felt like I had done everything I could do and I was ready to kind of focus on my next chapter, which even at that moment, I didn't know it was going to be coaching. Although I thought it could be, it was, it was moving on to the next thing. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. And I'm actually a little surprised to say, that you didn't know it was going to be coaching. You mentioned the fifth year you were kind of an assistant at Widener. Before we get into the bigger picture, what was that year like where you're basically an extension of the team? You played with probably 75% of the kids on the roster, but now you're in a little bit more of a position of authority. Uh, Was that tough or did it go pretty smoothly? That was the toughest, toughest year of my life, to be quite honest with you, in terms of basketball. Um because, and I heard you allude to this on your podcast with Coach Blair at Westchester, and it, was, it very much was the problem with me, is I had a certain mindset of how you could play at our level. Not just was I coaching at our level. I was with the guys that I played with. I was at the same school, playing against the same conference opponents. And I would get really frustrated with my former teammates with just go around him or just take the shot or you got to do this. or gotta, and, and I'm not thinking to myself, well, these guys aren't at the same level that I am or was. And 
it was extremely frustrating for me where I actually strained friendships during that year because of it. I was still young, right? I was a fifth year senior, but you know, I'm a assistant coach, but I'm still like having lunch with these guys and having dinner with these guys because these are my friends. And I would take it to off going, I would just be challenging these guys left and right. And a lot of guys didn't really appreciate how I was challenging. They just, they didn't have the same mindset that I had. So that for me as a young first time, like being a quote unquote assistant, you know, it was really tough for me, <laughs> really hard for me. It gave me perspective because honestly, I didn't coach. Once I graduated, I didn't coach for two years. And it gave me a lot of perspective that when I jumped back in with Coach Duda, when Duda, Dave Duda took over for Coach Rowe, when I jumped back in, it gave me a lot of, uh, okay, well, this is how you have to kind of handle this a little differently this time. Time to take a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Widener University men's basketball coach Chris Caridio right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back with Widener men's basketball coach Chris Caridio on one-on-one. So you mentioned assistant at Widener. What was your, those first couple years as an assistant, what was your role? Well, I don't know how much you know Dave, but, uh, you know, Dave gave me an opportunity when he took over for Coach Rowe at Widener. Um, I called, actually, I didn't know Dave at all. I called Bill Swan, who was the AD and the football coach. And told him, look, I don't know who you're going to hire for the head coaching job, but whoever it is, I really want to kind of jump back in, and I think I can offer something to the new coach, whoever it is. A couple of weeks later, Dave Duda calls me out of the blue at my job. I'm working at a company called Marble Crafters USA right over here in Trainer, which is about five-minute drive to Widener. He calls me and just offers me a job. Doesn't, doesn't sit down with me, doesn't do anything, just offers me a job. And I said, sure. And I met with Dave a couple of days later. I mean, 180 from Coach Rowe. Dave was intense. He was focused. He was immediately like, these are the players that I want. Get on the phones. Get in your car. Just get after it. Go do it. And uh, I loved it. I, it was a total different mindset than Coach Rowe had. Not, not, not bad or good, just different. And I was a little older. And I, I had first time recruiting. You know, when you're 24, 25, trying to recruit 18-year-olds, it's a little – it's tough. You, you, don't, you don't feel overly comfortable because – Although I knew Widener like the back of my hand, uh, it was it made so that made it a little bit easier. It was really hard to talk to these young men on a level that like was going to resonate with them, and then especially the parents, right? So you go to a high school game and the parent wants to talk to you and kind of ask you questions about the program and that kind of stuff, and it was always kind of the fall thing. Well, let's 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 get a visit and talk to Dave, you know. And it's just experience, right? The more times you do it, the better you get. But I loved it. I I mean my my two years with Dave was was amazing. I learned a lot from him. He was a no-nonsense guy. He was very, very intelligent in terms of basketball. He worked for Coach McGee for, for years. So, like, I learned really a lot from Dave. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, Dave was not, you know, wasn't a yes guy. He wanted you to challenge him. And, and uh, if you challenged him and he didn't like what you said, he would tell you. And it was just – it was a whole different environment. And I, I really enjoyed it. And, I, and that's when I kind of knew that coaching was what I wanted to do as we went through the league. And we won a conference championship my second year there. It was a great experience. 
And then I left there to go work with Billy Lang at Merchant Marine Academy. So that was my next, <laughs> my next step from there. What is the Merchant Marine Academy like? Is it because it's a Marine Academy? Is it a completely different mindset, lifestyle than what you had experienced at Widener as player and assistant? Another one E. Yes, another one E. You know, so when I'm at Widener, I was a Widener kid. I was a Widener student. I knew what the Widener kid was about. Right. Uh, Widener had a program at the time for first generation college kids. So we had a lot of we had a lot of city kids in this in this program called Project Prepare. And a lot of those guys were on my team. Um, you know, so like we had we had city kids, we had rural kids, you know, we had we had a melting pot of people at Widener. Right. So when Billy Lang offers me, a, it was my first full time job as a coach. He offers me a full time assistant job there. I go there and I meet the student athletes and it's night and day. These are kids that are extremely focused and locked in. They know what they want with their lives. They're from Texas, California, Idaho. They're from all over the country. They're at a place where they're up at 6:30 in the morning every day, you know, and they're not their lights out or 10:30 every day. They have physical training 3 times a week. So like their minds basketball is a release for them. It wasn't their main focus. And I remember I walked into the office with Coach Lang, and, and Billy and I are really good friends. We've always been really good friends. So we were friends before we were colleagues. And then, and he kind of braced me. He's like, look, it's different. This is different. You know, he was an assistant at LaSalle before he took that job. You know, he's like, it's a, it's a recruiting grind because we can't just go out to a high school game. We're going to on the phones a lot. We're emailing a lot. You know, you know and this is back in, geez, 2000. So, like, online video was difficult to come about. So it was like exchanging DVDs here and there with players and recruiting in the summer was jumping on planes and going to Las Vegas and going to California and looking at all these AAU showcases. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't Widener at all, but it was an amazing, amazing experience. After Billy left, after our first year, we won a conference championship. It was amazing. I got the head coaching job after he left and I was there for five years as a head coach. I met the most amazing people there. Kids that played for me there contact me now. Some of them are Navy pilots. Some of them fly for the Blue Angels. Some of them can't tell me what they do because they're so deep into, you know, either the FBI or whatever. So it, it was an amazing experience, but completely different than being at Widener. So how old are you when you get that head coaching job? What are you, 27, 28, somewhere in that ballpark? I was 28, 20, 28 when I got the job. I left in September of 2000, and I turned 28 as an assistant. And then I got the job in as a head coach in the spring where I was still 28. So yeah, I was 28 when I got the head coaching job. Do you feel overwhelmed at all? I did. I did. I was excited for the opportunity of the job. And I think that, uh, once I got it, I was like, okay, now I have the responsibility of all these young men on my shoulders <laughs> And I got to hire two full-time assistants at the time, which was an amazing thing at the Division Three level. I got to recruit nationally. I've only been doing this job for four or five months. I don't really know much about the academy except for what I can read on paper and express to a kid in a recruiting call. And I was relatively young, right, to be a head coach at 28. So I felt a little overwhelmed, a little overwhelmed. Uh, but I, I knew I had a good core of kids coming back. And I, re- I was in a, as an assistant, I was recruiting – a great kid out of Indiana, a kid by the name of Josh Buck was his name. And he was waiting on me to get the job and he was committing. And, and once I got the job, he committed. I knew that we were still going to be good. 
So that was going to be like <laughs> an important factor, right? I knew we were going to have talent and be good, but could I do the best for these kids? That was my main concern. Like this is, I, w- I don't have a military background, right? So I, I need to make sure that I'm doing the best thing I can for these kids, uh, for their lives, putting them in positions like later to succeed. So I did everything I could while I was there to get to know the academy, get to know everybody, get to know a little bit more about what the academy can offer. You know, it's not just being a merchant marine. You can go into any armed service while you're there when you graduate. So it's, it was a lot of learning for me, a lot of learning. Um, and I met some amazing people there. Unfortunately, the AD that hired me has passed away. Uh, Sue Peterson Lubo, um, the admiral that was there at the time, Admiral Stewart has since passed away. Uh, but all those guys, all those people were amazing people to me. Um, you mentioned not having the military background. Did that ever hinder you at any point along the way, especially maybe early on when you're still kind of getting your feet on the ground? Um, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure that it did. I, not that I could feel at least, you know, because I'm trying to convince these kids that are in high school to come to a place where, hey, look, the good thing is, is was it's free, right? It's a service academy. But you're going to have to put your time in afterwards, right? Five years in the Department of Transportation and then eight years in the reserves. And so we're trying to sell them on what you can do in the Department of Transportation that is not military-related, right? So we're trying to convince these kids to do that. Now, some kids wanted military. So I had to really kind of get more knowledge on, okay, what fields in the military can these young men go to? What fields in the Department of Transportation can these young men go to? How can I sell this place to these young men to make them want to come from Texas, California, Florida, and be here, you know, and be a plebe and do plebe summer and be in a uniform and have zero social life for your first year, (laughs) you know? So it was, it was a hard sell. I mean, the one thing that I left there saying, and, what's, and I remember interviewing with Jack Schaefer for the Widener job, and I said, like, if I can recruit there, I guarantee you I can recruit here. <laughs> you know, and that was like, I learned so much recruiting there because, you know, it's one thing I think to recruit at Navy or Army or Air Force, you know, um, because there's such a history and there's such a knowledge of those institutions. When you're recruiting at the Merchant Marine Academy, that, 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 most people don't even know, never heard of it until you call them. You know, and so it's a little bit of a harder sell. So I felt at that time that I recruited maybe the one of the most difficult institutions ever that I could be at. And it, it really helped me with recruiting, certainly, when, we got, when I got back to Widener. So you have success at the Merchant Marine Academy. Come back to Widener after five years. When the Widener job opens, do your eyes light up, like, immediately, like, that's where I need to be? Yes. <laughs> it was like uh, – it's just like with any job, right? As you guys become an adult, like certain, certain jobs you look at and like, you know, but then certain things happen. You get like this, you know, that's that feeling in your stomach where this, this is it. This is the right time. This is the right job. This is just the right time of my life. And it, it started with a random phone call to Dave. He and I remained friends, obviously. And I called him, Dave Duda. And I said, Hey, how are things going to Widener? And he said, well, things are good, but I'm leaving. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to St. Joe's to work with coach Martelli being an assistant there. And literally I'm like right then and there, I was like, okay. And I was like, look, Dave, I don't mean to be in a congratulations. That's great. I don't, but what do I have to do to put myself in position to get your job? And he was tremendously helpful. Obviously I'd worked for him. So he knew what I was capable of doing. I had success certainly at the merchant Marine Academy. And then as an alum and a good player there, 
you know, I, I kind of felt that I would be in the top tier of guys to interview for the job. So, you know, it, it was, it was a long process though. I think that that conversation with Dave happened in probably May. And then I don't think the interview process started till August because Dave was the athletic director as well. So as he's leaving, then they're hiring an athletic director first. And then the athletic director was going to sort through hiring basketball coach and a men's lacrosse. So long story short, I interviewed in August. I got the job. I started in September of 2006 and I couldn't have been more excited. Um, you know, and I, my first day on campus was, it was like, I was starting coaching all over again. Even though I had been a coach for five years, I was nervous and excited all at the same time. I remember my first meeting with the team in the locker room. I was sweating. Like I was, and I left that meeting going, these kids are think I'm an idiot. <laughs> like they probably thought like I was nervous because I, I was so excited uh, to be back at my alma mater and um, to making another 180 with, you know, the kids that I had been working with at Merchant Marine Academy now I'm back with, you know, and the Widener kid was continually changing because the university was changing. Um, so, just adapting to the new recruiting and, 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 and just, and they just came off a of sweet 16 years. So they were really good, had a lot of talent. So yeah, I was, I was, I was excited and I knew that that was a job that, that I wanted. Was there any concern? And what I, I say concern, you're a Widener basketball legend. You've got a place in program history and now you're coming back. Is there any concern or, or is there an extra level of, of nervousness. And I guess you kind of answered this, but because it's your alma mater and you've already got so much invested in it and this has to, this has to go well. Yeah. I, and I think I put a lot of pressure on myself, but I think that, so when, when, when I took over for Billy Lang at Merchant Marine Academy, we went to the sweet 16 the year he left. So I already knew what it felt like to inherit a really good team, but it was different because I was an assistant on the sweet 16 team. So the kids already knew me. And I said before how different Dave was. Dave's personality is way different than me. Dave's players at that moment were used to Dave. And I'm a little bit, not a little bit, a lot more laid back. My message is delivered differently. I go about things differently. Um, so the players, I think, were start, still trying to feel me out. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to try and relate to them a little bit. But in my way, I tried to express to them, like, I'm, I'm not Dave. I respect Dave. And he's a great coach. But I'm not Dave. And, and we had some struggles my first year, even though we had three all-conference players coming back. We did not have a great win-loss record. And it was a lot of it because I was trying to implement the way I wanted to do things. You know, they say, like, there's a million ways to skin a cat, right? Like, Dave had success doing it the way he did it. I wanted to have success doing it the way I did it. Because I want to coach the way I'm comfortable at, in my own skin. Because if you try to be somebody you're not, your kids will read through that too. So it took the year to kind of get – the guys to understand what, what I was trying to do. So I, we finished the regular season 12 and 12 and they came off a 24 win season the year before. And I remember that season vividly because after the last game of the year, I, I did our, my end of the year speech in the locker room because I hey, uh, thanks guys. You're like, what? appreciate my first year. Like you guys really worked hard. And I got a knock on the door. Oh, by the way, love Val just beat somebody at the buzzer. We're in the playoffs next week because of that. So we get to the playoffs and we, we went two games on the road, won a conference championship. And then we get on a bus and go to Kings and the NCAA tournament. We win a game there. <laughs> and then two days later, we get on a bus and we go up to Boston and we play Amherst in the round of 32. So this is like 10 days or 12 days after I gave my end-of-the-year speech. <laughs> so, and we lost to Amherst in a close game. They went on to win a national championship. And from that point on, those, that group of guys 
kind of really bought into what me and my coaching staff were trying to do. Uh, and then the next two seasons after that, although there was a lot of turnover because we had a lot of seniors, the kids we brought in, the guys we had coming back, you know, really bought into what we were doing. You know, we won 23 games each year, won a conference championship, never lost back-to-back games in like 75 games or something like that. Like we did a lot of great things. That class was just amazing. The first three years I was at Widener, they were great. Um, so I put a lot of pressure on myself the first year just to kind of like stick with my guns and make sure I'm trying to do what I want to do, what makes me feel comfortable as a coach, the messages I want to relay. And don't get, don't get me wrong, that first year I was doubting myself at times because I'm like, this is too talented of the team to lose 12 games. So I remember talking to Dave a couple times, and I'm sure Dave was telling me one thing, but the other and he's thinking, like, how are you screwing this up? <laughs> like, I left you with all this talent. Like, how are you screwing this up? And it's just, it was just me just trying to implement the way I wanted to do things. So, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question along-winded, I, I, I did put a lot of pressure on myself, but I think after we gained traction after that first year, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of been the program that I've wanted and I envisioned. I would imagine those two weeks, your first year, you know, from the point where you're making the thanks for everything speech to, you know, the second round in Amherst, the most satisfying run just because it kind of, uh, like you said, you thought a season's over and it's not, and you take advantage of that string of opportunity and turn it into uh, an NCAA tournament run. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a weird time because like the kids were really good kids. And I just think that, uh, the, what I struggled with the first couple weeks was the kids that I was used to coaching versus the kids that I was coaching now. Even though I knew the Widener kid because I was one, I think that they they didn't really respond to like I would say things to them like you don't have to, you can't tell me you don't have time. I just worked with kids that were up at six thirty in the morning. The days are planned till ten thirty at night. You have three classes today. That's not even three hours. Don't tell me you don't have time to get this done. And don't tell me you're going to miss a class because you didn't feel good or you were tired or you had work to do the night before. I just dealt with kids that had other days planned for 15 hours. Get up earlier. Do what you need. To. And so, so my message was just like, I don't have tolerance for, I don't have time. I don't have tolerance for, you know, the extra time that you can get in the gym. You guys have more time in your day than, than any kid I've ever coached in the last five years. You have plenty of time to get in the gym, plenty of time to get in the weight room. So, like, that rubbed some of those current players the wrong way. I, I think they just felt like I was coming off, not, not hard on them, just, like, you know, matter of fact. Like, this is what you need to do if you want to be good. You know, and I very rarely pulled on my own self. Like, I very rarely would be like, well, I did it. This is what I, I got. It. I, I'm, not, I don't, like, I'm not a toot my own horn kind of guy. So I was never like, oh, look me up. Check my stats. That wasn't my thing. I just wanted them to understand, like, I've coached guys that – at a very difficult place, and you can get a lot out of the time that you have here in college to be a great player. So, so that message was continual, among other things that I was trying to teach them. And then I think as we got to that last, you know, week, I remember that bus ride home from Boston. I really felt like, okay, I think they get it. I think I got a great group of kids coming back, and I think that we bring in some new kids. I think we'll be we can keep this thing going a little bit, and we did. And I was fortunate to keep it going for those the next couple of years. You talk about not pulling on yourself, but as you get further removed from your playing days, are there moments of recognition with kids in the program now or at this point when they realize how good you were as a player and ever have some fun with it? Like somebody calls you out of practice, stuff like that. Uh, 
because, uh, I mean, yeah. your resume is really, really impressive. And I wonder if this day and age, if kids don't realize they're playing for one of the greatest players in program history. Yeah. I think the, the, the one thing that a lot of coaches say at our level, like at every level, I, I continue to get older, but my players are always the same age. <laughs> so the gap just continues to grow. Um, so I don't think that recruits do a lot of homework enough on their coach. So uh, my current, one of my current assistants, Dexter Harris, who is my lead assistant, he's in our recruiting stuff. He always tells the, co- the players that, and their parents, like, oh, oh, you know, coach is too humble. He won't tell you, but you got to look at his career. You know, so I still get a little bit eh, about it because, you know, I'll pull on it when I'm talking to a kid one-on-one, trying to motivate him, trying to get him to say, okay, look at me. Okay, I would, this has been my hype the whole, my whole life. I was slow. I didn't have a great God-given ability, but I really put the work in. This is what I did. You know, I played full court one-on-one. It was 90 degrees outside at noon down the shore for an hour. You know, I, little things that I did, you know, some guys look at me like, you're nuts. Why would you do that? I'm like, well, because I had a desire to be the best player I could be. So, yeah, when I have one-on-ones with guys and I can really kind of get to them, um, I will pull on my own experiences and my successes. But I'm not a grandstander. Like, I'm not going to sit in front of my team and be like, you know, you guys know who you're playing for. It's just not me. It's just not who I am. I think anybody that knows me would tell you that. Like, I just don't know that that really accomplishes much for us as a group. But I will do it, you know, for one-on-one, and and it's a personal conversation, and I'm trying to motivate an individual. Um, You know, the only things I really pull on are successes I've been fortunate enough to be a part of. Right? I was – I'll tell the guys, like, I made the NCAA tournament as a player for Coach Rowe. I made the NCAA tournament as an assistant with Coach Duda. And I made the NCAA tournament as a head coach at Widener. So all at Widener, I've hit every level you could make the NCAA tournament. I know how to get there. And it's not all about me. It's all about the people that I've learned from during all that time. So just trust that myself and my coaching staff can get you there. You know, so it's not really about me. It's about the Widener program and the experiences that I've been fortunate enough to experience in my time. I've hit it on every level. So I know what it takes to get there. I've been there. Just, you know, let's just try and focus in on, you know, day to day doing what we need to do. And I, I, I promise if you do them, you'll give yourself a chance. That's really the, the biggest message that I'll give them. And it's more of a collective thing, not more of a me thing. You've had a lot of success. Your next win will be your 300th as a head coach. What do you think, if you had to rate why you've been successful, what are the top one or two reasons why you think you've, you've had the success you've had as a head coach? Well, I would say first and foremost has been the people that I've learned from, uh, starting with my dad, who coached. And so coaching has kind of been in my blood and seeing it from that side since I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, my dad would sit me down and talk about what he sees from his side and those kind of things. And then playing for Coach Rodeo at, at San Augustine, uh, I learned a lot of how to motivate, how to relate to your players from him and his coaching staff. Uh, from Coach Rowe, you know, who had over 500 wins at Widener and his legacy and playing for him. And, and you know, he was an X and O guy, whereas Coach Rodeo was more of, a motivator and a team and a, and a, and a relationships guy. Coach Rowe was an accident. Oh, guy learned from Dave, 
you know, had a great career at, at, at Widener and then at St. Joe's. And, you know, the way he did things, a completely different personality to me. So I pulled things from him. Uh, and then working for Billy, uh, although we were really good friends, we're different. You know, so I've, I've worked with and for and my dad, like some really great, successful coaches. And then the institutions, you know, uh, being at Widener right now, I mean, I recruit that institution. I don't recruit me. I don't recruit my basketball program, although it is part of it. I recruit kids that come to Widener, and Widener is an unbelievable institution with great majors, with you know unbelievable uh, opportunities for kids with internships and co-ops and job placement and all those types of things. So, you know, you could be the greatest coach in the world if you don't have a place that's supporting you and supporting your program. Then it, it's it becomes very hard to get wins and have championships. And then obviously before that working at the Merchant Marine Academy, I mean, that was, that's a great institution. I can't even, the people I met there and what those young men and women do when they leave there is remarkable. And what they have to go through to be there is remarkable. So, you know, as much as any coach wants to say, like, it's really not about myself as much as I can just help these kids get better and understand because I was a player. It's really about the institution. It's really about what they can offer and what Widener can offer them, especially now. You know, where Widener is now to where it was when I was there, it's like it's like a whole new school. It's not even in the same realm, <laughs> you know, with the facilities and the buildings and the majors and the, just the student profile now. You know, I, there's academically getting a kid into Widener today versus what it was when I was with Dave Duda is like it's a whole new kid. And, and in a good way, in a really good way. So I attribute a lot of my success to that. Um, you know, I, I don't, although I try to educate myself on basketball as much as I can, I, I watch some things here and certainly I learn from other coaches. I'm not, I haven't created anything new. I steal from coaches and I just try to put in place what's good for our team and getting good players because of the institution we're at is really the reason why you win games. And uh, so that's what I truly most of it too, Matt. I'm not, you know, I don't have some, some offense that no one else runs. I don't have some great defense that no one else does. I don't, try to sit down and recreate something. I just try to do the best we can with the kids that, that I know that we can get at Widener. And I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, some pretty good teams to, to get it, to get to whatever it's going to be 300 wins. Is what you're saying. Favorite part of the job. What's at the top of the list. Oh man. Just hanging around with the guys keeps me young. You know, it really does. I just love being around my kids. Um, you know, just having the conversations with them via text and in person. Um, you know, and, and then the last five years watching my young boys, you know, come to our shoot arounds or come to our games and, you know, seeing the, you know, they sprint out to the guys. And, and they're, I mean, they're, they're the fun times. I mean, I just like being around. I do. I just like being around 21 year old, 20 year olds and, you know, watching them grow and helping them get better on the basketball floor and seeing them graduate and circle back to you years later and, you know, kind of reiterate things that you said to them and you wonder if you ever resonate and then like kids come back and say, Oh, I remember when you said this and that, you know, those, those kind of things are what hit home. You know, I love the basketball portion. So don't get me wrong. I love game planning. I love watching film because I learn from watching film from teams in our league. Like I just enjoy the job. I enjoy what I do, you know, and I actually enjoy recruiting. I know a lot of us, a lot of coaches get out of it because recruiting is, is a, it is the hardest part because it's such like such, so competitive. But I enjoy it. I think I've done it a long time now that we're, you know, it's, it's more about being efficient than trying to stretch yourself too much. So 
That's what I enjoy the most. And I want to wrap up here. Um, your wife, Steph, whose games I called as we all get old, uh, when she was in college at then Philadelphia yeah. University, now Jefferson. She's an assistant at the University of Pennsylvania. How much do you guys talk basketball? We, we talk a lot of basketball. We do. You know, her and I are we're best friends, you know, so we spent a lot of time. That's kind of how our relationship started, right, talking about basketball and those kind of things because we had that common, that common interest. Um, you know, and I, I, we do our best to get to each other's games, and, and actually we, we do have an opportunity to get to more games than most just the way the Ivy League schedule was set up. So I was able to bring the boys to her games. She can bring them to ours. And we spent a lot of time talking about hoops. And um, it's fun, you know, and I've really enjoyed, you know, watching her career take off, you know, as she went from, you know, a Division three head coach at Penn State Abington to a men's assistant at Jefferson, you know, which was Phil U. Uh, working for Coach McGee and now at Penn. So I've enjoyed, you know, watching that. So, yeah, we, we talk a lot of basketball. It certainly isn't the only conversation because we do have two boys and, and a family and those kind of things, but uh, we definitely throw things off each other and we're probably each other's worst critics because we will, you know, go back and forth about anything. So, uh, but it, it, it's, a, it's fun. You know, we, we enjoy it. And I know that uh, hopefully someday when our boys are old enough to give us their input, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, I remember all those conversations you guys used to have. It was like mind numbing, you know, but yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Chris Caridio, thanks so much for taking the time. Matt, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been it's been fun, and everything you do for Philadelphia sports and keeping everybody in the loop, especially these days, I really am uh, thankful that, that, you, that you chose me to come on today. And that will do it for this episode of One on One. If you like the show and want to help us out and you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Many thanks to Widener University men's basketball coach Chris Caridio for being our guest this week. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks again for listening and join us again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.